If you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We've been going through and speaking about biblical faith. It seems that the world and a lot of pastors and other Christian leaders and churches teach that faith is that which you just desire or want and you rid any doubt about it. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is responding to what God says and acting on it, whether you see it or not, as having come true and you base your life on what he says. We've been going through the what many call and I call the Hall of Faith Hall of Fame. And we've taken a look at several different people. And we're going to, this week, take a look at Abram. And this is not the only time we'll take a look at Abram because there are a couple of other instances that we'll discuss. Um, next time, we're going to speak on Sarah and Mary and then come back to Abram. But the title of the day sermon is Abram starting a life of faith. And we're going to see that Abram wasn't necessarily what we would call young, although perhaps more in his time, a little towards later middle age. It's kind of like uh, in today's world, we talk about 50 being the new 30 because we never want to admit that we are as old as we are. And so when we take a look at Abraham, we go, oh, my goodness, he's 75. He's an old guy. But it is never too old or you're never too young to start a life of faith. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced, if you will, to this journey. So in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see that God has called Abram to move from his current location to a land that he will show him. Now again, we oftentimes want God to give us the entire plan before we move. God simply tells Abram, I want you to move. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I'm going to show you. You walk in faith. So what we have here is Abram, who started out, if you will, in his father's house, and his father moved from Ur, a city in, in uh, of the Chaldeans, to Haran, which was also his father's name, and for some reason, they stayed there because the original plan was to go to Canaan. The scriptures don't tell us why they remained. My suspicion, my inference is because they became economically prosperous because it seems that he had more possessions after they leave than when they got there. So like a lot of us, we have an intent to do something, but we get waylaid because of other things in life. And so the father of Abram had intended to move further, but stayed. Now, God has called Abram to do something that he wants him to do and to journey on. And so he tells him, not only do I want you to go to this land I'm going to show you, 
I'm going to make you a blessing. And I'm going to bless all the families of the earth because of you. Now, that's kind of a really big, generic blessing. Through you, all these things are going to happen. It's kind of inkling, if you will, to the Messiah coming. And so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. So again, we see that Abram doesn't go, well, wait a minute, God. You want me to move? Okay, I'm willing to do that. Where am I going? What's the plan? How am I going to get there? What? He goes, God says, move. I'm going to show you. And Abram moves. He doesn't place preconditions on following God. Nor should we place preconditions on following God. And so Abram takes off. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So Abraham goes as God tells them to go, and they arrive in Canaan, and he takes just his wife and his nephew. Now later in the scriptures, we'll see that maybe he would have been better off not taking his nephew, but his nephew went along, and sometimes that's just what happens. And so he does, and he arrives at the land that God shows him. And Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to Yoke of Moreh. Shechem throughout the history of Israel is going to be a significant place. We're going to see whenever Abram gets off target, he goes back to Shechem. We oftentimes see when other descendants of Israel get off target, they go back to Shechem or other places. And the first place Abram gets to in the land that God is showing him is that, and he goes, now the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So we built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So again, we see that Abram arrives where God tells him to. You know, and at that place, God, this is the starting point, And he builds an altar. I think that's something significant. When we see God doing things and moving in our lives and we moving with God, that we should be aware and worship him there. Because sometimes that place of worshiping him there, when we get off track, will allow us to come back to that point where we got off track and say, I remember when I was walking with God at this point and I will walk with him some more. So he builds an altar there. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar on the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. So we see again, God said, let's take another trip because I want to show you more of the land that I'm giving you. And he camps outside of Bethel and Ai. Now, again, Ai is an interesting point because that's where Israel is defeated because they do not follow the Lord's command. But again, it is the part where Israel, when they start taking that which God had given here to Abram, we see 
that God is moving and that God continues to keep his promises. And again, he makes an altar there and worships God. So when God confirms what he's doing and as we're walking, we need to worship him. Now, the radios like to tell you that you worship him in the car, and, and that's wonderful. But there should be true worship when we are seeing God at work in our lives. So Abram continues on towards the Negev. So he's seeing the land. Now, I'm going to skip because Abram kind of gets off track here for a little while. And my point is for him to get on track. I want you to see that he's walking with God. And so... If you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to see another promise that God gave to Abram. Genesis 15, starting with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So apparently there was some worry, there was some concern, there was some consternation about in Abram's life, and God saying, don't fear. Do not fear. I am your shield. And we in our lives, when we find ourselves in worry and concern, we should remember that God also is our shield and our defense. He is our defender. As the scripture says, I look to the hills and where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And so God is reassuring Abram that this walk is not alone, that God continues to be with him. And Abram said, Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Basically, Abram's not doubting God. He's not saying that God won't give him the land. He's not saying that he won't be. His statement is, so what does it matter? I'm going to be gone. There is no one who's going to reap the benefit in my, from my household, from all that you are giving me, because there's a servant that's going to get it. Not my descendant, not the heir of my flesh. So what's the point? Yeah, you can bless me, but I'm just going to go away. He doesn't doubt God. He just wants to know what's kind of what's the purpose. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars. And if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, unfortunately, we live in a city. And when we look up in the sky, we can see about 10 stars. But if you go out to where there is not the pollution of light and it's dark, there is a vast universe of stars. And God's saying, if you want to spend your time counting the stars, that's what it's going to be like counting your descendants. You're concerned that, that you have no heir. There is going to be an heir from your own body. He's not going to be your servant. He's going to be your issue. 
And you're going to have so many descendants. You can't count them all. And if you will, those who come to God by faith are descendants of Abraham. And so he goes, count them. Now, Abram is at a point where he can believe God or he can doubt. Because you know that Abram is no longer getting any younger. And his wife, when we started this whole process, was already barren. So he could say, you know, God, the circumstances are, I'm an old guy and my wife has been barren our entire marital life. So it's a nice speech, but I can't really believe you. But notice Abram's response. And then he believed in the Lord. And he reckoned it to him, that being God reckoned it to him, as righteousness. Now, I want you to catch something. The Jews during Jesus' time and the Jews during the preceding centuries looked to Moses and the law. And the Sadducees would say, we only believe those things that are in the first five books of the Bible. Well, guess what? Before the law is ever given, the scripture says it's not following the law that gets us righteousness. Right off from there, everyone who's, who's claiming that they are a child of Abraham is told that God accounted to Abram as righteousness because of his faith. It's not that Abram was a good little boy. It's not that he did the right things and didn't do the wrong things. He believed God. And without faith, it is impossible to believe God. It is impossible to um, please God. I'm sorry. It is impossible to do those things unless we have faith. And God is saying to Abram and to us, righteousness does not come by what you do or don't do. It comes by believing and acting in accordance with my word. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So God's saying, you believe me, I'm going to account it to you as righteousness. This land is yours. You didn't come from this land, but I'm giving it to you. And he said, oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Now, notice God doesn't condemn or slap Abram upside the head by saying, how dare you ask me a question? God is not intimidated by our questions because he's the God of the heavens and the earth. However, when you get an answer from God, it may not be the answer you're looking for. Because all we want right now, when we ask God for guarantees, we want it right now. You know, it's like the fleece. Put, wet it on one side and don't wet it and don't wet it. And we, we want something that confirms right here and right now. And God speaks to him and says, So he said to him, 
bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now, I'm sure from our point, we're going, why is he asking for that? Because God is going to make a contract with Abram. So he's setting up all the things that are to be so that the contract can be made. So the sacrifices and the things that are required. And then he brought all these things to him and he cut them in two and laid each half on the opposite of the other. And he did not cut the birds and the birds of the prey came down upon the carcass and Abram drove them away. So here's this time when Abram's setting up the contract so God and he can walk through these sacrifices. But before the contract can be done, the vultures and the eagles are trying to come down and, and eat the offering and the signs of the contract. So Abram is trying to shoo them away so that they can perform the contract. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, for they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So God says, this is how you're going to know it. You're going to live for a while. You're going to be an old guy when you, act, you know, you're old now. You're going to be much older when you die. You're going to die in peace. And then for about 400 years, your descendants are going to go off and, in essence be enslaved. Then they're going to come back here and I'm going to give them the land. So that's how you're going to know. Well, how is Abram going to know that? Because he will be with the Lord and see it all. You see, death does not end Abraham's vision. God says, you're going to see it. It's just going to take a while. And God's going to say, why is it? Well, quite frankly, for a couple of reasons. God is going to tell them later that there's a lot, there are many nations in this land. And he just can't instantaneously give it to them because then it'll become a wild forest and, and, and the people won't be able to learn. So I have to take a while for you to get the land in stages. The second factor is the people who are now possessing it, God's saying, I'm being fair. When I judge them, I'm going to judge them completely because their iniquity will have been completed. I'm not going to wait and, and judge them when it's only half done. God is fair. But let me tell you this. I don't want God's fairness. I want his mercy. God, don't be fair to me. Be merciful. But he's going to be fair to the Amorite. So he said, I have to wait a while to give you the land because you need to be a nation. And I need to wait a while to give you the land because the people I'm going to dispossess is not fair to them if I take it from them now. So when we ask for God for proof, the proof may be 400 years from now, you'll get to see it. Trust me. Don't trust the circumstances. Trust me. 
And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Camanites, and the Hittites, and the Pezzites, and the Rephim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Gergesite, and the Jebusite. So God said, I'm going to dispossess all these people, and I'm going to give you the land. And the land is a larger land mass than what we traditionally look at as Israel today. It goes all the way to the river Euphrates. God says, I'm going to give you this land. Now notice there was a contract to be made, but the only person who made the contract, the only person who walked through the, the contractual pieces was God. Abram didn't. It didn't depend on Abram for God to do what God is going to do. It was on God. Now, here's what's amazing to me. It should be sufficient for God to say something and that be settle it. You know, as I frequently talk about, you'll hear people say, God said it. I believe that that settles it. I go, that's totally wrong. God said it. That settles it. Therefore, I believe it. We should, because the scriptures tell us it is impossible for God to lie. So when he says something, it will take place. And yet, this God, who doesn't lie, who loves us with an everlasting love, not only says it, but then contractually commits himself to it. And if you think that's the only time, we are told that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he was raised from the dead and that we confess him as Lord, that we shall be saved, notice what happens. We are given the Holy Spirit as a pledge, as a down payment to the fact that we are children of God. God gives us a guarantee. The God who cannot lie, the God who does what he says he's going to do gives us, even us, a guarantee. And he gives Abram a guarantee. He says, I've contractually committed to you. I've told you, you believe me, wonderful, but I'm contractually obligated. Would it not be better for us to simply say, God, I believe you. I don't need any other guarantee. You told me, and I believe it. Let's jump back to Hebrews now, chapter 11. Starting with verse 8. By faith, he calls him Abraham because his name has been changed. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now I want you to notice something. When we took a look at the previous Hall of Fame characters, we saw Abel, who believed God and worshipped by faith. And we see Enoch, who by faith walked with God. And Noah, 
who by faith was obedient to God and did what God had told him to do. But before that, it said that Noah walked with God. In essence, when God comes to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. God is basically saying, come walk with me. Come journey with me. Let me lead you and I'll show you what I'm going to bless you with. I believe God has also called us to walk with him, to be with him, to follow him, and to say, Lord, you don't need to tell me everything. I'll simply walk with you. You see, life is, there, there are plenty of problems in life no matter what. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, unfortunately, a lot of times Christians are told, or you're told before you're a Christian, God has a wonderful plan for your life and, every, and you're going to have this abundant life. And yes, he has a wonderful plan for your life and all those types of things. But sometimes our life is more like Paul when God says, I need to show him all that he must suffer for my namesake. Sometimes God has called us to walk a path of pain. And sometimes God has called us to walk a path of blessing. But usually it's not one or both. It's and. We have great blessings and we have great sorrow. But God has called us to walk with him. Just as he called Abram to walk with him. Not knowing where our destination, we at least know that we are walking to heaven. That is our ultimate destination. We just don't know when or where. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has a foundations, who architect and builder is God. The writer of Hebrews tells us it wasn't so much the land, but it was a dwelling place of God. And that he knew by faith that God was going to build a new temple in a new Jerusalem. And that was what he was looking for. We think of the promised land as, as Israel, as it once was constituted. Abraham looked further than that to a time when God was king. And when God dwelt with his people. Verse 12, therefore, there was one born even of one man and him as good as dead at that. As many descendants of the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And God came through. God fulfilled his promise to Abram. There are more descendants of Abram than the stars in the skies or the sand of the sea, if you can count them. But he's going to say something that we modern-day Christians don't like. Because we modern-day Christians think, if you just believe it hard enough, it'll happen. If God needs to move that mountain, he'll move that mountain. Maybe God just needs us to walk over it or around it. 
But we just we think what we believe is what happens. But notice what it says, verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promise. Just because you don't see it now doesn't mean God doesn't do it. God's going to move plenty of mountains when God is ready to move plenty of mountains. And I know he's going to move one right outside of Jerusalem. That one is going to split in two. And the Lord's going to descend. I'm not worried about him moving a mountain in my way. I'm waiting for him to move that mountain. Because that means he's coming back. But they died without, without receiving the promise. And, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Just like Joseph that we will see later. He died without leaving Egypt. But his faith was such, take my body with you. I see the promise Though my body no longer moves, but I will see it. That is why we walk by faith and not by sight, because eventually it will happen whether it's in our lifetimes or not. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country not of their own. And indeed, they had been thinking of what that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 children could have said, you know, we're tired of waiting for this promised land. We're going to go back to Ur of the Chaldeans. But they didn't because they believed God. And yes, there may be times when it's difficult. And you say, but, but God hasn't come through. God has come true, but just not yet. They know it is better to live in tents than houses that aren't with him there. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. We too. This is not my home. I'm glad God placed me here, but it's not my home. There is a time when I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm expecting because God has said so. Not because I want it, but because he said it. And because he said it, I know it will take place. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It took Noah a hundred years to build an ark. It took God six days to create the universe. How much time do you think it'll take him to prepare a land for you and me, for a city, a shining city on a hill? To be able to walk in his presence. God 
is not ashamed to be called your God. There are times when we think he ought to be. We take a look at our lives and we go, we fall so short. But you please God not by your actions, but by your faith in action. By your living your life according to what he has said. That's how you please him. That's how he will prepare and be ready to come. So as I said a few minutes ago, just as he called Abram to take a walk with him. He's called you and me to walk with him. You may have been walking with him since you were six, seven, or eight. You may have waited, as I know in one case many years ago, of a gentleman who didn't start walking with him until he was about 75. Both is glorious. And there's nothing the 75-year-old can do about the 75 previous years. But from the day he started walking with him until the day God took him was beyond describable. It was a blessing. And if You've been walking with God since you were six, seven, or eight. Be thankful and continue in that walk. If you've kind of, as we, I omitted from Abram, you get off track some and you end up in Egypt. You come back to Shechem. You offer a sacrifice. And you worship. God didn't yell at Abram for getting off track. He is a God of compassion and love and forgiveness. So if you've gotten off the journey, it's okay. Kind of like the prodigal son. He receives you back. But it is much better to walk with him than to walk without him. To walk with him in blessing or distress. To walk with him in riches or poverty. To walk with him in fame or infamy. To walk with him. The question is when he has called you to walk with him. Do you respond as Abraham and said, here I am, let's go. Or do you say, wait a minute, Lord, where are we going? How long will we get there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? As opposed to, some of the best vacations are not where you get to the destination, but the journey going and then the destination. But so many times we're so focused on the destination, we forget about the journey. I'm a little more like that. I, I want to get from point A to point B 
My wife says, why don't we get off the freeways and, and see stuff? And I'm going, yeah, but we need to get to the next place. God's saying, enjoy the journey with me. And no matter how hard or how rough or how invisible the road is, I'm taking you to a city whose foundations have been set by God, where you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, I ask you to decide that you will follow Jesus regardless. And all the people said,